Well, a while back, the Lord had laid on my heart that when we would have opportunities to be together, to go through the book of Colossians. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to resume that study in Colossians. But I just wanted to give a short recap because there's been a little bit of time between the last time we looked at the book of Colossians and today. But the good news is, if you're concerned, we only made it two verses in. So not a whole lot to recap. So if you don't know, the book of Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to a church that he didn't found. And he might, these might actually be people that he may have never met, and it may even be a church that he never visited. We're not sure. And Paul is writing to them to warn them that there would be false teachers. He knows that this is beginning to happen because Epaphras came to Rome where he was to let him know what's going on. And he goes, he wants to warn them against the false teaching and that would be those who would want to twist or pollute or to try to do anything to distort the purity of the gospel. So how do we know when the purity of the gospel has been changed? I know, Jamie, what we should do is we should study all the false religions and everything. No, that would be exhausting. Do you know what we need to do? We study Jesus. You just need to know Jesus. You just need to know the gospel message. And that way, when anything else comes along, it doesn't sound right, it doesn't seem right, you know it because it's contrary to what the gospel is because you know your Lord and Savior so well. Just know Jesus. And so that is that the idea for Paul here is he simply wanted to captivate them with the truth of the gospel and the truth of who Jesus was. You never read in the book of Colossians, like, hey, if they begin to say this, how should we, how should we counter that? Paul's like, just know Jesus. You don't need to get into a heated debate. Just know Jesus. And that's why the major theme of this letter is the preeminence of Christ in all things. Jesus Christ alone is the sweetness and the truth of the gospel. Just know Jesus and know Jesus intimately. And Paul shows them clearly over the course of this letter that when they have Jesus, they have everything they need. When you have Jesus, you've got everything you need. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, it says it clearly. It says that we are complete in him. And if it's complete, it means it lacks nothing. Nothing. So let's go ahead and read our text for this morning, starting in verse 3 of chapter 1, and we'll read down through verse 8. And it says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has in all the world and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. 
And as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. These verses are one big, long sentence. I don't know if you notice that punctuation. It just keeps going. But as we'll see as we go through this now, Paul is laying out the foundational truth of the gospel and then what happens when it takes root in all of our lives. And what we need to understand is this isn't something that's just unique to the church in Colossae, right? We can't just come here and read these and be like, well, that was great for them. We need to understand that this is what the gospel should be producing in the lives of every follower of Jesus. This is for each and every one of us. And so Paul starts out here in verse 3, letting them know, first off, that they are ever in his prayers. I love it. I mean, for me, this is just a good reminder for all of us that we need to be praying people. Just we, we've got to be praying. And listen, we're never going to fall short on things to pray for. If you're like, Jamie, I'm running out of ideas to pray for, come and talk to me. I had a list a mile long. Listen, we live in a fallen world. So there's absolutely no shortage of things you could be praying for. And remember, Paul may have had little to no contact with these guys, yet what we see here is that he carries them in his heart and in his prayers. They're near and dear to him. I mean, we could just sit down and just begin to pray for the church state by state, country by country, and we'll never run out of churches and places to pray for. That the body would just be near and dear to our hearts. Diligent prayer should mark our lives. I mean, I don't know about you, it's always such an encouragement to know that you're being prayed for, isn't it? Have you ever gotten a text or an email or just something from somebody, even a phone call? Man, the Lord put you on my heart and I was praying for you this morning. You're like, oh, it's fantastic. Nobody ever is like, you hear that and you're like, well, why would you pray for me? We love it. It's just an encouraging thing to hear that we're being left before the throne of God. That somebody is lifting us up and leaving us in the hands of the Lord. It's such an encouragement. And can you imagine this congregation when they receive the letter and it's opened, and they begin reading it in the church, and they hear that Paul is always praying for them. How much it must have encouraged their hearts. And if you've been to the prayer meetings here on Sunday night, I'm going to have it tonight, 6 o'clock, you leave encouraged. It's always encouraging, praying for the body, praying for one another as the Spirit leads. Nobody ever leaves disappointed. Sometimes it's actually hard to get people to leave. People want to pray. People want to be in fellowship. Prayer is such a practical way that we can show that we love and we care for one another. That's really what it shows. It's demonstrating a genuine love. Let us be known as praying people. Well, Paul goes on. 
to let them know how thankful he is for them. And the reason for his thankfulness for them, he, he pulls out three things. He says it's their faith, it's their love, and it's their hope. It's faith, love, and hope. And so he starts and he says, I'm so thankful to hear of your faith in Jesus. That should always be at the top of our lists of thanksgiving. That someone is now a part of the family of God. That their eternity is now settled and secure. How can we not be thankful? I mean, listen, if it says in the Bible that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents and comes to the Lord, how can we not be thankful? Some of us have prayed and have continued and are praying and have been for years for somebody to come to the Lord. And when we hear of that person coming to the Lord, we rejoice. We want to share that with other people. Why? Because we want them to rejoice with us. And so as Paul is hearing this, he has such things. He would just know he's like, you're part of my family. You placed your faith and trust in Jesus. And I love what one commentator says of this. He simply says, the result of a life in Christ is a life for Christ. Jesus does that work. And then that life is for him. We belong to him. In the greatest manifestation of the fact that we belong to Jesus is what? It's number two. It's our love. Love is the greatest manifestation of the fact that we love Jesus. Paul notes here clearly that the Colossians' faith was not simply a verbal profession. Yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. They put it straight into action with their love for all the saints. That's what Epaphras brought the news of to Paul. He's like, yeah, these guys, they love everybody in the church. That's their reputation. Churches have reputations. That's the one you want. You want the reputation of love, that it marks who we are. And listen, their love, it says, is agape love for all the saints, unconditional love for the saints. And it doesn't say just a couple of the saints, just a few of them, just the ones that are easy to love. It says they loved all of them. Agape is defined from the Greek as this. It is the love produced in the heart of a yielded saint by the Holy Spirit. It is a love which impels one to sacrifice oneself for the object or person loved. Agape love is sacrificial love. And when we think about that, a sacrificial love towards that object or person, who do you think of? It's Jesus. Jesus, this was his love towards every sinner. We were the object he loved when he willingly went to the cross and died. You were in his mind. You were in his heart. He loved you. He looked at you for all that you are, and he said in that moment, you're worth it. That's us. That's agape love. 
Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad that we don't read? And once we got our act together and everything was golden in our life, then he died for us. We can't. We can't do anything. We make a mess of our lives. But while we were still sinners, while we were the furthest we ever were from him, living for ourselves, everything that we were, he died for you. He died for me. And the Colossians placed their faith and trust in Jesus and they, they took a look at the body of Christ with all of its quirkiness and they said, man, I love you guys. And that's it. We are a bunch of different people, aren't we? You're looking at me and you're like, that guy's different. Well, guess what? I'm looking at you and I'm saying the same thing. We're all different. That's how the Lord made us. But we're called to love one another because we're going to spend eternity together. Love your brothers and sisters. But I'm going to take this love and I'm going to push it further than just the love for all the saints. This should be our heart and our love for the lost also. Because it's when we were lost also that Christ died for us. It was when we were that far from him, he still extended agape love towards us. So I want us to go beyond just that, and this should be the love and the heart that we have for the lost. People are hurting. Look around. Heads out of your phones. Look around at the world around you. Just look at facial expressions. The world is hurting and looking for someone. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to know that they're loved. What, what drew people to Jesus? When you look and you read through the Gospels, what was it that drew people to Jesus? It was his love. It was his gentleness. It was his kindness towards the people around him. And listen, what I, if, he always confronted and dealt with the sin. Don't mistake love and gentleness and kindness for not doing it, but it was how he did it. He did it in the most loving way. I mean, if you were here Wednesday, we looked at the Samaritan woman. He was so kind and gentle. She was an outcast and untouchable by the Jews, Jesus being a Jew, she being a Samaritan, she being a woman, and there he sat and was sweet and tender and kind to her. And it changed everything in that village. You go a little further in John to John chapter 8, and you have the woman that's caught in adultery, and the Pharisees are all there. And then Jesus calls out the sin. And he doesn't even tell me. He doesn't say, hey, you guys can't throw any stones. He says, listen, go ahead. He who is without sin, start slinging stones. And what you realize in that moment, not only did he deal with the sin of the woman, he dealt with the Pharisees because they all put the stone down. 
because they all knew there was a sin issue in their life. He actually gave them the opportunity in that moment with that woman for them to have the opportunity to repent. They didn't. And when he was finally with her and alone, what does he say to her? It's so kind. Where are those who accuse you? They're not here, Lord. Well, neither do I condemn you, so go and sin no more. He dealt with it. He dealt with the lost. He loves the lost. And he's gentle, and he's kind, and he's loving. And that won their hearts. And that should mark our lives. That same love we need to extend to the lost that are in our community, in our lives, in our families, our friends, that we're doing that. If God truly has our heart, that we need to love as he loves and be the first to demonstrate his grace and mercy, not, not, not demonstrating judgment and condemnation. Love as your Lord loves. Well, let's keep going. These guys loved recklessly because they had hope, and it says the hope which was laid up for them in heaven. And the idea is here that they actually had, it was an active hope. It was an active hope because it was a living hope. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his, what kind of mercy? Abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We have the hope of heaven. We have the hope of Jesus. It is a living hope. We have an inheritance in heaven, which means nothing can touch it. Nothing's going to touch that inheritance which we have. And think of how many times you hear people hoping for something, but with such uncertainty. So many times you hear hope, but it's uncertain. I hope I get that job. I hope I get that promotion. Right? We, it's just, there's nothing certain to it. We don't. Our hope is not a hope of uncertainty because it is in Jesus Christ who lives. Our hope is alive. Jesus is alive. And one day he's going to come for us or we're going to pass from this life. But either way, we're going to be in his presence for all eternity. That's our future. Our future is sure. Our future is secure. And one day we'll be able to see our loving Savior face to face. And how wonderful that moment will be. Do you live for that day? The day that you will see Jesus face to face, it's going to be amazing. There's such hope because we have Jesus. And one day that hope will be realized when we stand with him in glory. Our lives should be marked with such contentment and joy because we have a secure 
and sure hope. Is that what marks your life? Are you content? Does contentment mark your life? Joy, you wake up in the morning, you're like, I'm ready. Are you joyful? We have the sure hope of heaven. It doesn't get any better than that. Well, the Colossians lived each day with the hope of heaven because, verse 5, they heard the word of truth of the gospel which came to them also in the world and is bringing forth fruit as it also is among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. And here, Paul begins to remind them that the reason for their faith and their love and their hope is because when they received it from the beginning, they received the pure message of the gospel. And he reminds them, why? Because there are those that are coming in and they're trying to twist and change that message. But he's like, listen, that message that you have, hang on to it. It's the only one you need. You've already got it. Don't change it. Don't look for something different. You need no other message. They had the word of the truth of the gospel. And then Paul says that word of truth of the gospel which came to you. And that phrase came to you in the Greek is a neat little phrase. Kenneth Woost, a Greek theologian, much smarter man than I am. He says the idea of the gospel came to you could be translated this way. And listen to this, because I love it. He says, the gospel has snuggled close up to the Colossian saints, and they have taken it into their hearts. Think about the tenderness of that. Think about what's being said. It's such a beautiful picture of how the gospel touches a heart. It snuggles up to it. You're like, ooh, you think about that. When the gospel touched your life, you're like, ooh. It keeps you warm on a cold day. That's the gospel. The gospel is the good news. It's a sweet message. I mean, listen, we were lost and we were dead in our sins. We were hopeless. And when we were in that state, God sent his only son to die for our sins, to pay the penalty that you or I, we cannot pay it. We have no ability because we're sinful. And Jesus bore all of our sin and shame on the cross, but it didn't end just there. He then rose again three days later, and he lives. And because Jesus lives, we are going to live. It's a sweet message. And when we place our faith and trust in him, we go from death to life. Every person that places their faith and trust in Jesus goes from death to life because of the work that he and he alone did to rescue and redeem us. That's the work. That's the message. It's an easy message to share. When the truth of the grace of the gospel truly takes root in our hearts. What happens? This is the fourth part. It bears fruit. When the gospel is taken root, now your life bears fruit. Paul says here, I've heard the report of the fruit of the gospel in your lives in Colossae, but I want you to know that same message 
Don't let go of it. That same message is bringing forth fruit in all the world. All the Roman Empire, all the known world at that time, it's gone out. It is said of the gospel that it's the only seed that can be planted in any soil and it will bring forth fruit. It's the only one. Wherever the seed is sown, the results were the same. Lives were changed and it bore fruit. And that lies the test for us if the gospel has really taken root in our lives. There's a litmus test in that, and it's simply, are our lives producing fruit? When we take a look at our lives, is there evident fruit in our lives? When I lived in Costa Rica, we had two trees in our backyard. We had an orange tree, and we had a starfruit tree. The starfruit tree drove me nuts because it bore fruit all year round and you couldn't keep up with it. And if you've ever been around rotten fruit in the heat because we were by the equator, it was not a good combination. The orange tree on the other side, I didn't know it was an orange tree for four years till one orange showed up. I didn't. And then it did. I was like, is that a fruit tree? It was so confusing. Do you know what we ended up doing with it because it didn't bear any fruit? and it was just out of control, we cut it down. We cut it down. The evidence is in the fruit. There's a working that's going on. And there's a clear way that we bear fruit, and it's abiding with Jesus. We bear fruit when we abide Jesus said it himself. This isn't my idea. John 15. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. When we abide in Jesus, we bear much fruit, which means great abiders bear bountiful fruit. Are you abiding? And what I love is Jesus says, all you have to do is abide. Jesus doesn't say, go get your water pot, go get the fertilizer, make the sun come out, do all of these different things. Jesus asks us to do one thing. He says, abide in me. That's our job. Our job is just to abide. The vine, the vine is the one who will do all the work in you and through you, your call is to abide. Are you abiding? The Colossians placed their faith in Jesus. We see it clear. They hung on tightly to the hope of heaven. And because they hung on tightly to the hope of heaven, it gave them a heart to love liberally to all. And the result of the love and the faith and the hope that they had, their lives bore fruit. And it's no different for us. It's no different for us. Well, let's bring this to a close. Verses 6 through 8, the end part of 6. As it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God through truth, 
As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Now you need to remember, Epaphras is from Colossae. These are his people. That's where he's from. And you could go if you want, you could study the history of Colossae. You could look at different things that happened. Now in the time when Paul is in Paul's day, it's not a really big, it's kind of a small village. Yet we see his heart and his concern still for that church. But Colossae does have a history. There was a point in time when King Xerxes and all of his army, before they were ready to go and attack the Greeks in Greece, that's where they camped. That's where the army rested. That's a big day. But I'll tell you what, the biggest day that ever happened in the history of Colossae is when a faithful young man who came from Ephesus after he heard the gospel message, it penetrated his heart, it changed his life, he went home to his friends and family, everybody there, he presented the gospel, and that, my friends, is the greatest day in the history of Colossae because when he did that and people gave their lives to the Lord, their lives were changed for all eternity. And it bore fruit. How do we know it bore fruit? Because there's a church in Colossae. That was the fruit of his faithfulness and his love. And the hope that he held of heaven, it changed lives. It changed lives. Are you sowing seeds? Listen, the good news is we're not responsible for the results of the sowing of the seed. We're just called to be faithful and obedient to do it. Are you sowing the seeds of the gospel in your family, in your community, wherever you are, in your neighborhood, in your apartment complex, at Kroger, wherever? Are we sowing seeds? Or maybe the better question, are you even looking for the opportunity? Do you want to? Do you have a heart and desire to do so? You're just called to faithfulness and obedience. The Spirit does the work in the heart. Just be a faithful servant of Christ. Well, as we close here now, in the worship team, you can come up. And just during these next couple of songs, as you're just kind of where you are and just kind of quietly before the Lord... Just ask yourself, are you, are you walking daily in the hope of heaven? When you wake up in the morning, are you like, today might be the day. Today might be the day that the Lord calls me home. Today might be the day I get to see my loving Savior face to face. And he loves me. Our hope is living because Jesus lives. Hang on to that. You have a living hope. And listen, when you hang on to the hope of heaven and the fact that you could be before the Lord today, it's going to change your conduct. It will change how you speak. It will change your attitudes. It will even change how you think because you might see Jesus today. Live with the hope of heaven. Be sure that that's at the forefront of your mind that you're looking for his glorious appearing and return for you. And as you have that hope, has that produced a love in your heart? 
for your brothers and sisters? Do you love the family of God? Has that love given you a heart and a love and an affection towards the lost, towards the hopeless? That agape love that the Spirit has produced in our heart should compel us to share the sweet message of the gospel. Are you compelled to share the gospel? Because remember, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's the one thing that can change a life for eternity. Listen, you may be able to step into somebody's life and band-aid a moment. You can't change their eternity without the gospel. Give them Jesus. Jesus does that. And just ask, am I a faithful servant and is my life producing fruit? And know that we would reap a bountiful harvest as we serve our loving Lord and Savior. Amen? Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for your love towards us. Lord, it was unconditional. You love us so much. You poured out your grace and your mercy towards us. You gave us life and life abundantly. And Father, just give us a heart. Give us a heart for the lost, a heart for, our, for the family of God. And Lord, may we just simply be found faithful. Faithful sharing the gospel, faithful in one another's lives, faithful to you and your calling upon our lives, Lord. And Lord, that we would just bear much fruit for your kingdom and your glory. We ask it in your name. Amen. Well, the altar is open. You can come up. Your brothers and sisters are here. I'll be up here too. We're available to pray with you. You can just stay where you are. But for me, if the Lord is speaking to your heart or has been speaking to your heart this morning, respond. It's not a moment just to sit idly and be like, oh, that was great. And it's stirred. Act upon it. See what the Lord has wanted to do with that. And just take this time as you worship. Know that he loves you and he has a beautiful purpose and plan for your life.